But first, an update from City Hall. Over the weekend, Mayor Brandon Johnson announced his pick for Chicago's top cop, 29-year CPD veteran Larry Snelling. This news comes as other cabinet officials, holdovers from the Lightfoot administration, are resigning or being fired. Housing Commissioner Marisa Novara, Department of Transportation Commissioner Gia Biaggi, and Planning and Development Commissioner Maurice Cox. They've all left within the last few weeks. And most recently, Commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health, Allison Arwady, was fired late Friday. So WBEZ City Government and Politics reporter Mariah Wolfel is here breaking it all down for us. Hey, Mariah, welcome back. Hey, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the mayor and the Chicago Police Department. I'm curious if you were surprised at all that Johnson ended up picking Snelling for uh, superintendent. You know, it, it it it's become clear that Johnson wanted a Chicago bred and born, can, or, you know, raised candidate. And that's what Snelling is. That's what he chose in Fred Walling, his interim CPD superintendent, mm-hmm. who's been filling in at the department thus far. Um, I, I do think he wants someone who can boost morale and have a lot of respect among rank and file. Um, that's something that Johnson has had to work on after the fraught election where he was kind of painted as an anti-police candidate. And so it's not necessarily surprising that he wanted someone with extensive CPD experience to lead the department. How have folks been reacting to the announcement so far? It's been a couple of days. Yeah, I think that um, for the most part, people are praising the process that led to this. It's a brand new process, a a democratic process um, carried out. Johnson had gotten some pressure to pick Snelling. Did he not? Yeah, I believe so. I mean, again, like lots of respect for Snelling um, throughout the department and and his years kind of working up the ranks. Um, and this was, you know, a process, a, a, an independent process um, carried out by the uh, Community Commission for Police uh, for Public Safety and Accountability. accountability. Excuse yes. me. It's a mouthful. Um the first of its kind, where they led a na- nationwide search and presented three candidates to the mayor, and that's who he who, who he chose from after, um, you know, three interviews that lasted a couple hours long. Yeah. Okay. So tell us now the next steps in this appointment process. Like, when is the city council meeting going to happen to discuss Snelling? Sure. So it's not, uh, you know, the agenda isn't posted yet, but there is a a police and fire committee meeting on the books for early September um, and then a full city council meeting later that month. And so we could see the appointment move its way through city council in September. Does it look like there's going to be any opposition? You know, there were three conservative alder people at the press conference yesterday um, that kind of signals that opposition will not be coming from Johnson's right, you know, among at least, you know, not among high ranking alder people um, to his right politically. And so given that Johnson has a lot of progressive allies on the council already, um, it doesn't look like as far as we know, he's going to have a lot of opposition to this, at least from the people who are least aligned with him politically, which would be his main concern. Mm. Let's switch gears and, and talk about the Department of Public Health. We know Allison Arwady, as I mentioned, uh, you know, she led the department throughout the years-long COVID pandemic. It, it brought her a, a lot of name recognition and face recognition, too, and, and more than most cabinet officials, I, I would say, especially public health officials. Like Normally, we don't know who these people are, but of course, she's thrust front and center as the, this random disease at the time falls uh, on us and and she's played such a a major role in the um in in this 
uh, in the onset of the pandemic. And so how, what what's the public response been to this firing? Well, I I think the nature of the firing has shocked a lot of people, just that Dr. Arwady wasn't able to meet with her staff, um, was kind of brought in an office, according to her account, a little bit before 5 p.m. and told that she was being fired um, and and hadn't had the chance to meet with Mayor Johnson in, you know, the almost 100 days that he's been in office. Right. And um, I don't think that that I, I do think that that will have some political consequences for Johnson just because of what you were describing already was very public facing. She was a beloved public figure for many. Um, you know, a lot of people opposed her approach to the pandemic, particularly her approach to um, schools and students during the pandemic. But um, many people see her as the Fauci of Chicago, you know, as as a, as a person who saved lives. And so, you know, it's not common. It's not uncommon for a mayor to come in and clean house and place his or her own chosen leaders in these positions. But I do think the nature of the way that he let her go might have some ripple effects, um, just in terms of yeah. of how people watch, you know, how he treats his administration. And let's talk more about that for those who aren't aware. You say the way that he let her go, right? Uh, Arwady says that she was surprised by the firing and she didn't get to say goodbye to her staff. Is that right? Yeah, so... You know, she she says that she isn't surprised that she was let go. You know, Johnson, the writing was on the wall. Johnson said to you, Sasha, for the first time that he was going to in, in your forum, in Reset's forum, that he was going to let Arwady go, that he would not be he's not interested in keeping her on, that they have different approaches to mental. I mean, to public health, including mental health, a big tenant of where they diverge. But, um, you know, so she says that was not necessarily surprising. But again, just not being able to meet with the mayor because the mayor told me the day after the election in an interview that he was looking forward to sitting down with Dr. Arwady, that he wanted to lean on her expertise after she carried. So was he already starting to walk it back a little bit? Um, the next day? No, I think the next day he was he was saying, you know, he I think he was less committal for sure. But I think he still had the intention of letting her go, but that he wanted to sit down with her. You know, he wanted to talk with her about, I don't know. Yeah, maybe potentially staying on. I mean, it was clear to me that he was going to get rid of her just because of the history between the two. But but, you know, that he would sit down with her and, and kind of talk through next steps for the department. And I think it surprised her that um, he didn't do that. Mm. So the city is currently experiencing an uptick in, in COVID-19 cases. So do we have any idea of when we'll see Arwady replaced at the department or, or who that replacement might be? I'm sure Johnson wants to move quickly. You know, we've experienced we're experiencing multiple public health crises in Chicago, gun violence, um, you know, uptick in COVID-19 cases. We've got wildfire smoke from Canada affecting us intermittently. And so I'm sure he wants to move urgently on that. There is an interim commissioner. The deputy commissioner has risen up now mm -hmm. and will fill in for Arwady. I know Arwady is kind of doing some back channeling to try to help with the transition of her staff really? since she had to move out so quickly. Um, but yes, this this is one of the key positions. I'm sure Johnson has a short list and I'm sure he wants to fill that quickly. Uh, obviously, it will need city council approval as well. The council doesn't meet in August. And so, you know, the earliest we would see is September yeah. um, if he were to identify a new person, get them through a committee vote and then get them to the full council in September. But 
um, you know, then they'll, they'll meet in October, November. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and the, the turnovers that we're seeing right now, I mean, would you say that that's pretty typical when a new administration takes over? Yeah. Again, very common. You come in, you want to put your people that you trust, the people that yeah. you've worked with and the people who align with your politics in those in those positions. And so it's not it's not uncommon. You know, we've seen some commissioners also step down and you name some of them, Gia Biagi, um, Rhys Navarro. So Navarro. So um, there are some people who have already left and I would expect to see a little bit more turnover as we. Well, yeah. Forward. Well, some of the Lightfoot appointees have said that they, they feel as if they've been forced to audition for, for Brandon Johnson in order to keep their jobs. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the nature of politics. You know, they weren't hired by Johnson. He didn't it comes pick with the them. territory. It comes with the territory of being an appointed elected official and not or an appointed official and not an elected official. Um, you know, there are holdovers. We do see him. He's so far kept CPS CEO Pedro Martinez in place. Of course, the CPS board is responsible for 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 choose selecting a superintendent, but the mayor has a lot of say over that. Right. And, you know, we have a fire commissioner still in place. There's there are a lot of, you know, holdovers left. But Johnson has said he wants to be deliberate, that he's going to take his time building out his administration, that he is not in a huge rush to mm-hmm. do so. And he says, you know, he's doing that because Chicagoans deserve, you know, someone who takes their time filling these positions and he doesn't want to be hasty. Um, but we will we will see more changes. To yeah. Come. Well, while I have you here, let's take a quick look at something else here. The budget. Earlier this month, you filed a report on participatory budgeting, which is a democratic process uh, that got its U.S. start actually here in Chicago. So for those listening who have no idea what I'm talking about when I say participatory budgeting, quickly tell us what it is. Yeah, it's a way of getting people involved in the budget process in a democratic way. So the city of Chicago passes a $16 billion budget every year. I, I mean, you can't you just can't find someone on the street who can explain how that budget process works. It's it's very, you know, it's very unapproachable and and hard to understand. But Even you can explain it. That's why we bring you on programs like this. <laughs> well, you know, that that takes a lot of time and effort and practice. Right. Um, but even the aldermen who vote on it have trouble wrapping their minds around it sometimes because it's so complex. And that is for a reason. Um, but participatory budgeting is a way where people, residents, everyday people can vote on a small portion of how public dollars get spent. And so okay. that happens through only in wards where older people elect to do that in Chicago. So and there are things that can and cannot be funded through participatory budgeting. Right? Yeah, so because participatory participatory budgeting has been going on in Chicago since 2009, but never on a citywide level. And so the only way that it happens is when a specific alderman says, this is something I care about. I want to do participatory budgeting. I want to make spending more democratic. But the only money that they have to work with is their so-called menu money, which is one and a half million dollars that each alderman gets every year Mm -hmm. to spend on capital infrastructure projects. So, you know, that's the pot that they work with. And then they take that one and a half million. Well, usually they take about a million of that one and a half million and have people pitch projects and vote on how they want to see that being spent in their communities. You recently talked with uh, Taya Crum, who's Associate Director of the Neighborhoods Initiative at the Great Cities Institute at UIC. Here's a little bit of what she had to say about the types of projects that residents are interested in funding. 
a lot of people talk about jobs, economic development, resources for children, violence prevention programs. Those are the things that our people are going to come out to want to have an impact in. She said resources for children. That, that's something that uh, Johnson's made a big push for. Yeah, and I want to point out there that those are projects that she, those are things that she's listing that currently participatory budgeting cannot fund because it's only for capital okay. infrastructure projects. And she's making a case for making participatory budgeting citywide within the, you know, city's office, you know, city's purview so that you could fund social services and programs like that instead of just, not just, but instead of streetlight repairs or a new park. Um, people come out and they want to fund violence prevention services for resources for children, those sorts of things that currently, I mean, only the mayor and, and aldermen can can yeah. push in their budget with input from residents. But um, advocates of participatory budgeting want to see this on a citywide scale so that it can so that people can vote on more meaningful projects and programs. Well, before I let you go, tell us what else we can expect from the mayor's budget and, and the timeline for approving it. Yeah, they want to get this. They want to get the budget passed before Thanksgiving, um, which okay. would be great. <laughs> but they have until the end of the year to do so. Um, so we'll An ambitious bunch. Yes, we'll we'll start. We'll see. You know, Johnson's uh, budget. You know overview and proposals start to happen in the next month or so and from there we'll see whether he's going to raise property taxes we'll see whether he's going to fund a department a fully fledged department of environment um we'll see whether what resources he's going to put behind for violence prevention for young kids and so a lot of the priorities that he talked about in the election um, will either come to fruition or flip-flop. And, and the budget is a really good way to tell. Um, it's a good indicator. Yeah. Yeah. That's WBEZ City Government and Politics reporter Mariah Wolfel. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.